I guess it's over. Uh, <laughs> hey, how you doing? Uh, good to see you at all of our campuses. Assuming you can see us here, I don't know what the technology is doing, but uh, my name is Luke. Uh, good to be with you. Hey, did you know that uh, the birth of one of my children is described in the Bible? Uh, ben started last week talking about the birth of one of his kids, and pardon me for following suit, but the material that we're covering in this, uh, this blessing series it really uh, invites us to go there. I have five kids. Now, for two of them, I wasn't even there for their births. I didn't even care when they were born. I was out doing other things. They're adopted. Okay. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> uh, but for one of them, their experience is uh, recorded in the pages of the Bible. I was surprised, as you are, to discover that in the book of Ezekiel, the events describing my son's birth are written down. Ezekiel chapter 16, it says, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean. Nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field. For on the day you were born, you were despised. I'm sorry, you thought that was going to be like a happy birth story. Of course, that scripture is not referring to my son, but his story does mirror what is told there. Uh, In fact, he only even has a story to tell because a Tanzanian man heard his cry out in the morning from the ditch. He was in a a trash bag, um, umbilical cord still attached, thrown out to die, but surprisingly alive. The man took him to the home of one of the school officials nearby, and then uh, they called the police. He went to the hospital, eventually landed in an orphanage outside of Kampala, Uganda. And that's where we met him. It was just over uh, two years ago, him and uh, our other son, whose story is similar. They were very young at that time, six months and, and 15 months. Caring for orphans is a biblical command, and as best I can tell, some orphanages do a decent job of that. Others, barely adequate, and others are awful. Our boys fared pretty well, all things considered. They were actually held and fed something and washed. Uh, uh, they, more than the minimum was done for them, let's just say that. But uh, looking at all the kids in that orphanage, it was hard to tell how old they were. They were all smallish, underdeveloped, and you could just tell, like, the light was not on. It's the best way I can describe it. You know what I mean if you saw them. Have you heard the term failure to thrive? Failure to thrive. It's a label given to young children who don't develop and progress in the way that, that's expected. So it's talking about height and weight, physical stuff, but also their emotional and cognitive implications as well. Failure to thrive. Now, it could be a risk for any child born anywhere, but especially kids in an orphanage where there may be a little less support or nutrition or attention. I remember thinking about failure to thrive with all of my kids, being a little worried, like, are they growing? Are they eating? Are they on track? And so forth. So those concerns are ratcheted up a little more with these boys, who one of them has malaria when we meet him, and the other one can't even straighten his legs. They still just kind of curl up to his body like an infant. Will they fail to thrive? It's a frightening thought. Failure to thrive. Even more frightening, frightening is to think of it not just as you know, a medical term, for a young child, but to think that for some of us, that may describe our lives. We're not thriving. We're not flourishing. Growth and development has been halted or hindered in some way. Uh, Regret haunts us. Peace eludes us. We keep tripping over the same things. We we self-destruct. Or we're nagged by the feeling that something's missing. Relationships aren't as strong as they should be. Marriage, not as great as we thought it would be. Purpose, not as clear as we wished it to be. 
all of those are among the reasons that it's so important for us to be talking about the biblical concept of blessing. We started last week to discover that blessing, blessing is the center of God's program. What are your intentions with these people that you created, God, to bless them? Read the story in the Old Testament of Abraham. God blessed him and blessed his family so that through them the whole world would be blessed. God shares his goodness with his people. His love, his grace, his very presence and very tangible things. Land, descendants, provisions for life so that you can thrive and fulfill your purpose. Blessing comes from God. And in a way uh, that mirrors what God does for his people, leaders of families in the Old Testament would pass on a blessing to the next generation. Fathers in that patriarchal culture, but there is nothing about giving the blessing that is distinctly male. Anyone can give a blessing. To do it means to find ways to convey to another person you are valued, you're esteemed, you're loved. It's, it's to provide for that person a sense of security, a stability of environment that allows the person to be at ease. And I have to live life fearing harm. The blessing means support. The person receiving the blessing knows that they have people around them that they can count on. The blessing comes with relational strength and health. To bless is to affirm, to say you have worth. You have purpose. You're valuable. I see something in you. Blessing communicates acceptance. It says you're welcome here, and you always will be. There's room for you here. You can start to see how much of a blessing it is to receive the blessing, how if those dynamics are at play in the life of a person growing up, how it, it grounds a person. It lays a foundation. It creates this inner strength, confidence, poise, shalom, wholeness. You see how critical it is for a parent to pass on the blessing to their children, for spouses to share the blessing among one another, grandparents to their grandchildren, mentors to their protégés, coaches to their players, leaders, to all those who come after them. We all need it to thrive. And so we're trying to figure out how we can give the blessing, even if maybe we haven't received it ourselves. The story of the baby in, in Ezekiel That's actually God telling that story. He's speaking metaphorically, as he so often does, when he's trying to help our little brains understand the big things of God. He's talking to his people. He wants them to see how their relationship with God has unfolded and how it works. He's uh, he's saying to them, "Uh, let me show you something. Now, it's graphic. A baby thrown out in a field, lying in its own blood, cord still attached. But... Uh, Look at that. It happens all over the world today. It happened back then. Look at that and understand something, God says. You, my people, were like that. Helpless, hopeless, forgotten. But keep watching. Because Ezekiel 16 continues, Then I passed by, God said, I came upon you. I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. And I made you grow like a plant of the field. It's another way of expressing God's blessing to his people. He saves them, and then he layers in a whole other image. You can think of me like a gardener, conditioning the environment in such a way that you could grow like a plant of the field. That's exactly how blessing works. 
Ben talked about it last week. If a plant's going to grow, it needs certain ingredients, nutrients from the soil, sunlight and water, and all of that. Blessing can be experienced. Blessing can come to full flower in a person's life if someone else is willing to condition the environment, cultivate the soil, and nourish that blessing. God blesses his people like that. And he continues with uh, this metaphor, developing it in ways that have very practical relevance for us. Uh, He goes on to say, referring to that once discarded baby, Ezekiel 16, he says, I bathed you with water, washed the blood from you, I put ointments on you, I clothed you with an embroidered dress, I put sandals of fine leather on your feet, I dressed you in fine linen, covered you with costly garments, I adorned you with jewelry, bracelets on your arms, a necklace around your neck, a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, a beautiful crown on your head. It's physical stuff. Washing, wiping, scrubbing, rubbing, dressing, adorning, crowning, blessing is conveyed through all of those things. And it calls our attention to something that every baby needs, every child needs, every person needs. Touch. Meaningful touch. Good loving, edifying touch. One of the ways that any of us can condition the environment in such a way that the blessing could take root in another person's life is through meaningful touch. Do you know the power of touch? Do you have to be convinced that we were made to touch and to be touched? Now, I know you don't have to convince like an R&B songwriter or like a 19-year-old guy, right? Feel me, touch me, hold me, dance upon me, or let me feel you, touch you, hold you, dance upon you. That's like the soundtrack playing all the time, right? Touch can be immediately sexualized, okay? And yes, there is good, loving, affirming sexual touch. God invented it. His Bible waxes eloquently about how beautiful it can be shared in marriage. But don't go there yet. Do you know the importance of touch? Uh, the day before my 19th birthday, I had surgery to repair a broken hip. Uh, Twelve days before that, I had been tackled in a scrimmage. is where it broke and it was dislocated. The next day, I moved back home from college to my parents' house, set up in a hospital bed in their living room. Lying in that bed was the only thing I did until I had surgery except for assisted trips to the bathroom. I distinctly remember the day after surgery, my 19th birthday, as the worst day of my life. I was still lying in bed, like a a big foam wedge strapped between my legs to keep me still. Anesthesia had worn off, uh, had a morphine button in my hand. Nurses coaching me, you got to stay on top of your pain. Wow, I was too invincible and ignorant to heed that advice. So by evening, it it, it had just gotten away from me. For, For two weeks, I'd done nothing but lie on my back, and I was so uncomfortable and and in pain. I had like restless leg syndrome times 100 everywhere in my body, and I was about to lose it. Can can you just flip me over or something? You got like a spatula big enough. You could turn me over on my stomach. And thank God they did, because I couldn't have made it another second. Got me turned over, wedge and all, and then my dad and my mom took turns rubbing my back. Soothing muscles that are aching from epidural. Massaging skin that hadn't been touched for two weeks. It was a gift. That touch 
provided by my parents around 19 years old. That touch was as critical a part of my journey toward healing as any other aspect. Do you know the power of touch? Just last week, we were visiting my sister-in-law, uh, her husband, they just had a baby. We were there hours after the baby was born. Second child. The first one was a C-section, uh, more of a sterile environment. There were complications, kind of a negative experience, really. This one, vaginal birth, lots of joy. Give me that baby right up on mommy's chest, skin to skin. First 20 minutes of that boy's life spent soaking up mom's touch. With our boys, uh, we took them into our care on foreign turf. You know, what's done is done. It is what it is. And now we move forward. So here's our initial plan. We're going to touch them and we're going to feed them. That's what we got. I'm going to take my shirt off. We're going to strip them down to their diaper and they're going to lay on my chest until the Ugandan humidity makes it impossible for us to get unstuck, right? (laughs) We're going to wash them and lotion them and grease up their hair and tickle and tackle and just do whatever we can to deposit good, meaningful touch into a bank that may have had close to a zero balance at that point. Because we know that meaningful touch is critical to enriching them, to blessing them. I think we have a picture of them now uh, driving already, you know, just got their license. (laughs) No, they're not, they're not fair. they got a long way to go, like all of us. They're on a new trajectory. Have you experienced the power of touch? Now, uh, let's talk some about this zero balance idea, uh, or even the deficit that some of us are facing when it comes to touch, because I know that some of us haven't experienced the power of touch as a blessing. Uh, we, we know that the blessings that we're talking about in this series haven't been equally shared by us all, and that, that could be painful for some because you're thinking about all of the touch or the affirmation or the attention that you didn't receive. I mean, yeah, we live in a world, some babies get right up on mommy's chest when they're born, and some get thrown out in the ditch. We're talking about uh, and advocating for physical touch in, a, in an environment where we realize many of us have been the victim of violent touch and, and abuse, distorted touch. Stories about abandoned babies are not the worst we could do if we went around the room. Something like one in four women and one in nine men are the victims of physical violence or sexual violence at the hands of an intimate partner. One in four children will experience abuse or neglect in their lifetime. The Me Too movement has helped bring some of these stories into the light. There's new headlines on the internet daily, it seems. But the stories are here. Uh, We know, we've experienced touch as destructive. Physical touch is an avenue for uh, harm and degradation, an unwelcome, painful intrusion into our lives, an invasion of our own bodies. For some of us, touch means only negative things. And we have to be honest, the church hasn't always handled this very well. If we're going to start talking about touch at church and start suggesting things like God thinks touch is a good idea, who wouldn't understand the skepticism that might result or even the outright fear? Because God's name has been invoked for selfish power plays and violations of other people's bodies, and it's heartbreaking, and it's wrong. Some of us have been touched in ways we don't want to be touched, or touch has been withheld from us when we've needed it most. I don't have to convince anyone that we're dealing with a very broken situation. We're trying to understand how touch and blessing and God can all come together in good and life-giving ways, but there's so many things about our individual stories and our collective stories that will make that difficult. So will we just not touch? 
Are we better off just being hyper-concerned and uh, hands-off and eliminating all touch? Would that help us thrive? Or is there some hope that we could actually experience the blessing of touch and touch in a way that brings blessing? You know, touch, touch is a threshold crossing thing. Like if you imagine a door and the threshold, uh, it separates one room from another. When I step across that threshold, I'm in the room. I'm in the building. Like some of you can't believe when you stepped across the threshold of the church, it didn't burn down. Welcome, you know. <laughs> you crossed the line. And touch crosses the line. I'm either touching you or I'm not. My body occupies these definable limits and your body occupies its defined space and we can carry on with each other, uh, each in our own space, never making contact if we want to. But we do cross the line of touch to communicate something. Uh, A handshake to say hello, it's good to see you. A hug to convey warmth and, and friendship. Or maybe a hand on the shoulder to say, I'm here for you, I'm with you. Or hand-to-hand contact on a date to maybe communicate for even the first time, like, I I, I really like you. Touch can signal that a relationship has moved across a line, so to speak. And God used touch that way. Okay, if you're uh, you're new to the church thing, um, okay, big uh, mysterious point of doctrine right here, all right? The Bible sums it up like this in Colossians. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Jesus, heaven meets earth. God jams himself into a physical body. Jewish man walking the earth named Jesus. We pay a lot of attention to Jesus around here. And as you watch him, it becomes clear. He is an agent of God's blessing planted right into the middle of a very broken situation. A world filled with violence and turmoil just like ours. And one of the significant aspects of the distortion that was a reality there is that uh, people in power were bent on uh, creating a distinction between those people and us people. Use guys and us guys. It was important for them to draw boundaries that would separate those who are clean from those who are unclean. Clean meaning things like acceptable before God. Uh, Welcome in the temple. Righteous. Insider respectable, and unclean, meaning like the opposite of all of that. And the two groups could not touch. If someone who was clean touched something or someone that was unclean, well, then they became unclean. They crossed that line, had to jump through a bunch of hoops to get back to the good. And then uh, here comes Jesus, God gracing the planet to bring healing and blessing so that what's broken would be made whole. Those dead would come to life. Those languishing would thrive. Jesus comes teaching these things and talking this way with a word powerful enough to rebuke a thunderstorm, but he doesn't just use words. He comes close enough to touch. Now, I don't know anyone with leprosy, and no one in Jesus' day would have wanted to know anyone or get anywhere close to anyone with leprosy. Uh, they were unclean. Their disease, you know, affecting their skin, probably the cause of their, of their sin, uh, affecting their touch receptors, not that anyone would have touched them or even gotten within spinning distance, Except Jesus. Except God in the flesh who came with a message that was at its core about outsiders becoming insiders. A blessing that was not just announced but communicated through touch. If you're willing, you can make me clean. The desperate cry of the leper. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. 
And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus touched the very places of brokenness and made them whole. The blind man's eyes, the mute man's tongue, the crippled woman's back. In fact, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Blessings that God could have conveyed with a word, he did through his touch. And it wasn't just to do the miraculous. You get to see a beautiful picture of just how human Jesus was. When one day there's a crowd gathering around and Jesus' disciples are doing their due diligence to kind of maintain crowd control and keep the little rugrats from bothering Jesus and nipping at his heels. And Jesus sees that and he's like, no, guys, no, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. And so Jesus took the children in his arms, not to do anything super amazing other than place his hands on them and bless them. God used the touch of his human hand to say, my relationship with my people, this thing we have here, we've crossed the threshold. You have a new level of access to me. My touch blesses, it redeems, it forgives, it heals. I'm sharing my goodness with you. Our relationship is on new ground. You need to hear that spoken, not just to them, but to you. In Jesus, we see a snapshot of blessing that is so similar to all of, or to many of the other blessings given in the Bible, where patriarchs would gather their children and bless them, not just with words, but with a touch, a kiss, an embrace, laying on of hands, deposit value into their lives, nourish the soil with affirmation, projecting a positive future, and good, loving, edifying touch. Could we be people who do the same? Who bless like that? Knowing that God welcomes and forgives and values us, could we also communicate to other people the same kinds of blessing through the power of touch? God knows we got a mess we're dealing with. Broken lives and situations, deficits of touch, of attention, of affection, but yet he can still deliver blessing through human hands and meaningful touch And he wants to use our hands. So let's close by trying to get a handle on on what that would look like. First, we have to understand meaningful touch is always for the benefit of the recipient. Meaningful touch is always for the benefit of the recipient. So for me uh, to touch someone, for any touch to be the kind of touch that God wants, the kind of touch that blesses, when I touch someone, it must be on their terms. It must be something that is for them, not about what I desire or prefer. Meaningful touch is never about self-gratification. It's not sexualized in nature. It's not about my agenda or what I can get from you. Now, I'll, I'll defend the principle that we were made to touch and to be touched. It's part of what it means to be human. But that doesn't mean that everyone has equal comfort with it. It doesn't mean that certain kinds of touch should always be welcome or, or have to be forced upon someone. Each of us, uh, I mean, personalities play a role in how comfortable we are with touch. Touchy-feely, that's a good label for some of you. We know who you are. Uh, some of you are like, I'm a hugger. And others are like, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fist bumper, okay? <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Our past is going to dictate how ready we are to receive touch from a friend, 
from an authority figure, from a spouse. We could have a past, have a past filled with all kinds of wonderful and loving forms of touch or a past filled with very perverted forms of touch. There could be all kind of unconscious stuff going on. My oldest son, I talked about the younger boy earlier who was abandoned at birth, but the older one was abandoned at about six months of age with clear marks of abuse. Now, it was only six month worth, months worth, and it's nothing that he's going to have a conscious memory of, but we, we can tell, like, his body remembers something. I'm no psychologist, and we'll have a lot to learn and discover as he grows about how to best nurture him. But the point, again, is this. When I'm touching someone, I shouldn't just be thinking about what I'm experiencing through my touch receptors, but instead be aware of how that person will receive my touch and make make sure that the impact my touch has is a blessing to them. I had to have help uh, with the awareness thing about a month ago. Um, Our oldest daughter is 10. And my wife said to me, I don't think you should touch her on the leg above the knee anymore. And I was surprised. I said, what do you mean? So I've noticed the last few times when you've been like tickling and playing and tackling her and things, which I'll say is like my key dad function. Like I don't know much, but like I do that. She said, I've I've noticed like you, you know, you kind of maybe tickle her on the hip or pinch back her thigh or something. She just seems a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. Uh, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Thank you. Um, It, Touch is not about whether it's normal for me or comfortable for me or something that I do. It's about something that honors her, which uh, brings up another important principle. Meaningful touch crosses boundaries and honors boundaries. Meaningful touch crosses boundaries and honors boundaries. Yes, meaningful touch, it's, it's so powerful in the way that it it. It tears down barriers between people. It brings people closer together. Think about forgiveness that is, that is uh, represented in a hug or an agreement that is sealed with a handshake or a kiss that says, welcome home. Or a father who's a little bit of, you know, emotionally distant. He's kind of not comfortable uh, showing affection. He's sort of established this clear hands-off kind of MO with his kids, only to break his own rules and embrace his daughter on her wedding day. Or give his son a hug to say, I'm proud of you. I love you. That's a big deal in their relationship. You think about uh, the movie Wonder. If you've seen that, Augie, his little boy, he's had like 20-some surgeries on his face. And he's thrown to the dogs. He's going to middle school. And the kids are relentless, and they're teasing him, and they won't, they won't touch him. They think he has, like, the plague. They're treating him just like a leper in the Bible, honestly. You think how important it was for him to have parents who would touch that face and kiss that face and friends who would hug his neck. It's, it's just like Jesus, touching, uh, reaching out and touching the very places of pain. That's our example. That's our calling. It, it may take us a little bit beyond the boundaries of what we're comfortable with, but that's how God has loved us. He crossed the barriers of our sin, our rebellion, our uncleanness to love us and bless us, and he calls us to do the same. Okay, another big mysterious point of doctrine. The church, us people, the church is now the body of Christ on earth. God has designed that people will feel the touch of his love through our hands. That's how God has set it up. So we have to be willing to cross boundaries with touch so that outsiders can become insiders. So we can comfort the brokenhearted, strengthen the weak, heal the abused, love the unlovely, bless the children growing up in our midst. Touch is critical to all of that. Boundary-crossing touch can help a once-abandoned baby thrive, can help a wounded person heal. 
So the Bible gives us that charge. And it also teaches us to be wise, to honor certain boundaries when we touch. So if I'm uh, coaching football, high, schooler, uh, high schoolers in football, and we're out on the field with everyone, I'll slap a kid on the butt and say, that was a great play, nice pass. I'm not going to do the same thing in the locker room. If I'm coaching elementary students in basketball, no pats on the butt, hand on the shoulder. That was a great job you did. You're doing awesome. If I want to communicate to a young girl, I'm glad to see you at church today. Side hug or a high five. Or if it just seems like a full frontal hug is going to be inevitable in some situation with some person I'm not related to, then you know, I just keep my distance down below. That's right, I just bend at the waist, right? <laughs> Boundaries. Okay? Boundaries, we got to have them because we got to get touch right. We got to get touch right. It's a gift. It's part of how God blesses us. It's part of how God has designed us to be a blessing. We were made for it. We got to get it right. So let's finish with this. Parents, touch your kids. As they grow out of certain kinds of touch, know that they're not growing out of being touched. As they grow and evolve, your, the ways you touch them will have to evolve as well. But we literally have to keep in contact, dads especially. Dads, you got a young girl you want to protect from hormone-crazed boys. One of the things you got to do is teach them what healthy touch is. You got to satisfy their need for healthy touch and affection so that they don't go carrying a zero balance into high school seeking that kind of touch from someone else. Touch your kids informally and formally, meaning uh, touch them, a healthy touch, in just all kinds of regular ways every day. Some kind of hug or a touch on the shoulder, kiss them, play with their hair. Not in big obnoxious ways, but in, in consistent, loving ways. And then create some formal, some planned uh, moments. Like the biblical example of Isaac last week. He calls his son in and he arranges a time to bless him, kiss him, lay his hands on him, and speak to him. We've got to do that. We've got to create those times for our kids. If you can't remember the last time that you looked your child in the eye and said what you see in them or said, I'm proud of you, do it today. Confirm it with a laying out of a hand or touching hands and embrace. If, if you're ever in doubt about what kind of touch would be a blessing to someone else, like your, your spouse in particular, just ask them. Uh, touch is not everybody's love language, but we all need it to some degree. And we need it just for its own sake. It, it conveys warmth and friendship and it lowers blood pressure. And you can Google all the science behind it and everything. We just need it because it, it's good. We don't need it just because it might lead to sex. If you're not married... Guard your heart when it comes to touch. We are in a cultural environment that has just overdone it, over-sexualized touch. There's no way you're going to figure out what healthy touch is, uh, observing it from the wider world. You have to zero in on God's truth if you're going to understand what is healthy touch. Maintain boundaries and accountability. If your boundaries have been violated uh, with regard to touch and you have not yet sought out healing or confided in someone that you trust, may God give you the wisdom and the courage to do that uh, with, the, with the counselor or with a friend. And may God give you hope that you can still thrive. And may God's spirit convict you if you have violated boundaries with touch. That needs to be repented of before God and with those that you've hurt. God 
made touch to be an act of love. And so it must be something that gives and not takes. It must be something that blesses. Let's be a community that realizes the power of touch. Let's cross boundaries to let people know you are included. You are forgiven. You can heal here. And let's honor boundaries so that people always know that our touch is meant for blessing and gives them an opportunity to thrive, just as God intended. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you teach us through your word. Uh, You know that we need your touch. You uh, descended from heaven to touch and to be with us in a way that is profound and real, in a way that we need. I pray that uh, we would be able to feel your touch in some way that that is real and helpful and meaningful and healing in our lives. It does not uh, require much um, thought for us to bring to mind the brokenness that we deal with. God, some of us feel that very personally. We feel it on a worldwide scale, on a nationwide scale. When we think of violence that is done, school shootings and the other things that make headlines that all impress themselves uh, on our minds and on our hearts and that we feel. Uh, There's brokenness that uh, we've experienced with regard to touch. Boundaries have been crossed. We pray for your healing for all of us, that we would uh, somehow be able to, in the very places where boundaries have been crossed, where violence has been done, that there would be healing touch, that we would uh, find seeds of blessing growing, and that in places of brokenness, there could be thriving again. For everyone, we ask that, that that kind of blessing would happen for us. And then we think of our responsibility to uh, carry out your love on the earth, us as the church, your people, that you indwell and inhabit and work through. Use us to bring blessing through touch. Use our hands, literally, to touch in ways that honor you, in ways that honor other people, in ways that heal the world. We are your servants, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.